This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, December 6th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, commissioners appoint next county clerk. Uncompagre Medical Center receives national honor. New AVI class offers crash course. And a mountain weather forecast. This fall, Stephanie Van Dam announced that 2023's election would be her last as San Miguel County's clerk, and she would be stepping down, pulled away from her work by family obligations. Van Dam announced her resignation in mid-October, but remains on the job through January 5th to smooth the transition at the clerk's office. Now, her successor has been named, and the transition can begin in full. Yeah, so we're in the process of uh, changing over all usernames and logins to reflect me and not Stephanie. And you'd be surprised at the number of those, especially dealing with elections and liquor licenses and contacting the state and letting them know that there's a new clerk. Um, It's an enormous amount of work, actually. That's Michael Wazinski, who was appointed this week by the Board of County Commissioners to succeed Van Dam in the clerk position. And while he may be new to the title of county clerk, he's no stranger to the clerk's office and the front rooms of the county courthouse. It'll be six years in March. I started in the DMV, and then I moved over to recording, and then I did elections and liquor licensing. Uh, so I've, I've done it all. Most recently, Wazinski served as senior deputy clerk. The clerk's office, as Wazinski notes, has a whole range of duties, from issuing liquor licenses to motor vehicle registrations and overseeing elections in the county. Wazinski notes he'll hit the round running. Yeah, so next year, 2024, is going to be a very busy election year. There are three elections, presidential primary, regular primary, and then the general election. So it's going to be a very busy year for us at that office. The position of county clerk is an elected one. When a clerk resigns, such as Van Dam announced this fall, the commissioners are charged with appointing a replacement. That appointment is only good for one year. So in addition to overseeing 2024 elections, Wazinski will be on the ballot, vying for voter approval to serve out the rest of Van Dam's term. In six years at the clerk's office, what keeps Wazinski coming back? Well, I really enjoy the part of serving the public. I really uh, enjoy the engagement with the public. Um, And having done elections for a couple of election cycles now, I like the the notion of democracy is for the people. It's it's been really fascinating to learn that aspect of it. Wazinski will be sworn in as county clerk on January 8th, 2024. Just off Main Street in Norwood, in a tan building with a green roof, sits the Uncompagre Medical Center. We have our ER room. So when patients come in, they come in for a variety of reasons. It can be chronic care, um, urgent care, or just complex medical conditions um, for long-standing care. In order for a community to thrive, it needs to be healthy. And that's everybody within the community, which is why we're proud to be a medical home. That's Chuck Porth, the CEO of UMC. 
For nearly 50 years, UMC has been providing care to Southwest Colorado. As a federally qualified health care center, it provides care to residents regardless of insurance, income, or documentation. An FQHC is really valuable because it really goes across all sectors of the community and can offer health care to everyone. Dr. Kelly Prince, UMC's chief medical officer. So you no longer have to feel like there's a boundary, whether you have insurance or don't. You walk in, we take care of you, and we walk through the next steps for you and your health, as well as helping you afford whatever it is that you need. Recently, UMC was awarded for the second year in a row with the Health Center Quality Leadership Gold Badge, a federal award, recognizing UMC in the top 10% nationally for medical centers providing quality care. According to Prince, UMC's goal is to provide integrated care that recognizes the whole individual. Some patients may come in and just need medical care, but others may need not only a medical home, but also a dental home and dental care and behavioral health services. So we make ourselves available to customize our care for every patient. So if a patient comes in and we realize they haven't received dental care in years or have a dental issue, we can literally walk across the hall, go get our dentist and do integrated care and services immediately and set them up for future appointments. The same thing with behavioral health. UMC has two physicians and a physician's assistant on staff in addition to a full dental and behavioral health team. UMC's recently remodeled dentist office has four chairs, offering imaging, cleaning, crowns, limited root canals, and oral surgery. So we have four operatories, and each chair is brand new. We got a new CBCT, which is a 3D imaging machine as well. For Dr. Sarah May, UMC's dentist, dental care shouldn't be a luxury outside of traditional health care. Oral health can really have a big impact on anything health related really Um, and so we have done I think a good job in the last year integrating our medical and our dental and even behavioral health into our clinic Um, we send referrals internally now and so the patient can really feel like they come and they get a full comprehensive full body experience when they're in the clinic Tommy Terwilliger shares May's sentiment. Terwilliger is a licensed clinical social worker and UMC's behavioral health specialist. He works with patients when it comes to behavioral or mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, substance use, and trauma. You know, we are, we are a whole person, and mental health is part of our whole person care. Um, I think that there really can't have a distinction between the physical and the mental health as we are, I think, learning a lot about, you know, humans and our bodies. We're realizing there's a big connection between our body and our mind. So, you know, treating both is how you treat really kind of one or the other, really. And it's, um, you know, it's just a whole person-centered approach. Prince notes, UMC's care is available through that integrated model, but also available as individual specialties. In addition, UMC has a pharmacy on site, providing prescriptions through a 340B program, which offers prescriptions at a reduced price. But at its most basic, Prince says UMC aims to listen to its patients, provides the highest quality care possible, and in turn support community health. Our goal is to customize what you need to keep you healthy in line with your values so that you can chart your future and have the kind of life you're looking for. The Uncompagre Medical Center is open Monday through Friday with same-day appointments available. To schedule, go to umclinic.org or call 970-327-4233. 
With just a blanket of snow, much of the San Juans transforms into avalanche terrain. But don't panic. A little learning can go a long way in understanding how and when avalanches occur, and knowledge is power. A new program from the Colorado Avalanche Information Center offers a snow safety primer in just one hour, and it's being offered this Thursday, December 7th, right here in Telluride. To get the details, we called up Chris Dixon, local avalanche instructor and director of the Peter Inglis Avalanche Fund. Hey, Chris, so tell us, how did this new class called Avalanche Aware come about? Yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. Um, I've been chatting with Brian Lazar, who's the deputy director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. And he told me that they wanted to work with an educational entity. So they partnered with ARI, the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education, to try and figure out how best to craft this program so that it suits a wide audience and gives people all the information they need to stay safe in avalanche-prone areas in the U.S. Wow. And some people devote their lives to studying avalanches in snow science. A lot of backcountry skiers take multi-day classes on reading backcountry conditions. Um, So what knowledge can folks expect to pick up um, from just an hour-long session? This is an awareness program. So the idea is to get people's minds to start thinking about um, how they engage with avalanches, whether that's, you know, as a backcountry skier or recreationalist or just someone who hikes and lives in avalanche terrain like we all live in avalanche country here in the San Juans and sometimes they impact our highways sometimes they impact our hiking trails Um, so the idea is to just bring more awareness to that hazard to people Um, and I agree this will never replace the formal education you get from a multi-day avalanche course Um, but hopefully for those folks who don't have a lot of education or those folks who want to kind of get their head back in the game, um, coming to this presentation this early in the winter just kind of starts to get the ball rolling in people's heads. Recognizing this class is designed for as broad an audience as possible. Could you talk a little more about um, the audience? Uh, what folks should consider coming? I'd say this class would be appropriate for folks who play outside in the winter, especially around Telluride. Uh, whether that's someone who just goes and hikes up trails like Bear Creek or the Judd Weeby Trail to folks who, you know, are lifelong backcountry tourers. I think there's something in here for everyone. And what's most exciting is it's completely new. So if you've come to a Know Before You Go program in the past, um, this is going to be a new take on that. Cool. So it's a new program even for you. I'm pretty excited because I think this might be the first time it's going to be debuted, at least in the San Juans, if not in the state of Colorado. Um, They literally were fine-tuning it and working on it this weekend. I'm pretty excited to debut it, um, and I think, yeah, it's just going to be a new take on some old stuff, but um, ultimately, like, the basic principles that we should all remember when we're out there in the winter. All right. Is there anything else folks should know? just want to credit uh, Joanna Spindler and the Wilkinson Public Library for being super awesome partners in this. Um, they're always really gracious in allowing us to host these events at the program room. It's totally free, and, uh, you know, first come, first serve in the program room. There's, like, seating for about 50 folks. Um, But yeah, I'd love to see a good turnout. Okay, Chris, thanks so much. All right, talk to you later. That was Avalanche educator Chris Dixon discussing Avalanche Aware, a new program from the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. The program will debut in Telluride this Thursday, December 7th at 5.30 p.m. in the Wilkinson Library program room. 
The Norwood Dolores Road will be closed for the winter as of Thursday, December 7th. San Miguel County Road and Bridge will not maintain the route, which cuts just east of Lone Cone and connects Wrights Mesa to the Four Corners area, during the winter months. Travel and rescue on the remote route becomes extremely difficult after the first heavy snow. The route will stay open for over-snow vehicles and other forms of winter recreation and transport. As animals snuggle up for winter, Colorado Parks and Wildlife are gearing up for research. According to CPW, the early winter months are a crucial time for wildlife research projects and population surveys. This winter, CPW will place GPS collars on 75 elk calves across the western slope, including the Uncompagre herd west of Montrose. It will also place collars on 120 pregnant cow elk in the spring. In addition, CPW will place radio collars on 30 doe mule deer in La Plata and San Juan counties and increase its monitoring in areas outside of Montrose, Gunnison, Meeker, and Kremling. CPW notes the goal is to understand calf survival and cause specific mortality in different parts of the state. To collar the animals, CPW uses net guns to capture, collar, and quickly release the elk calves. Pregnant elk are transported by helicopter to a processing area where they are given a GPS collar and an implant that allows CPW to track the pregnancy and calf survival. Colorado will have to hand over workers' compensation data to the federal government despite a state law meant to keep it confidential. In a ruling last week, a judge decided that federal law supersedes a state statute and gives the Social Security Administration access to the data. An audit by the Social Security Administration in 2020 found Colorado received excess federal payments for disability benefits. The government requested more information from the state, but Colorado refused. The attorney general's office claimed releasing the data would violate the Colorado Workers' Compensation Act. With the recent court order, Colorado's Labor Department has until the end of the month to submit the data. The Colorado River's largest water user has agreed to conserve some of its supply in exchange for nearly $80 million from the federal government. KUNC's Alex Hager has the details. The Imperial Irrigation District is a group of farms in Southern California, and it's agreed to conserve 100,000 acre-feet of water through the end of this year. That's less than half the amount it initially proposed, but the district says it's still on track to meet its conservation goals across a four-year stretch. The saved water comes from efficiency upgrades on farms, like new sprinklers and pumps. Officials with the district say they're hoping to save more water next year once there's more time for an environmental review. Some analysts say the federal government may be waiting to see how much new water this winter brings before sending another big payment to Imperial. I'm Alex Hager. Almost 40% of all food in the U.S. goes unsold or uneaten, while millions of people struggle to afford groceries. But a concept called food rescue tackles both issues at once, keeping some items out of the trash while helping to feed people in need. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams has more on one of those projects in the Roaring Fork Valley. 
Every Friday morning, in the delivery docks of grocery stores and parking spots outside of bakeries, Gray War shows up for the leftovers. Is that eggnog? Yeah. Oh, I love eggnog. War is the founder of Harvest for Hunger, a nonprofit that rescues unsold food and redistributes it through food banks and mobile pantries. I'm along for the ride, and over the course of a single day, I'll watch this ski school supervisor in a beanie and a branded vest pick up 1,300 pounds of food, then help give it away. I was surprised. I was floored. I had no idea there was so much waste. That's a lot of food in the landfill that's no longer there. It's quite amazing, actually. It's not just the basics, either. In addition to veggies and sandwich bread, we're giving out things like fancy cheese and pastries. Carrot cakes. Yeah, so food bags are designed to help people survive. And food rescue, I feel, is designed to help people thrive. And here in the Roaring Fork Valley, where the resort economy comes with a higher price for everything, and the local food pantries serve thousands of people each year, there are lots of folks who need help, both surviving and thriving. When you take account of the cost of living, many, many people here live below what's called the federal poverty index. So in that situation, you know, food insecurity is an absolute reality. Catherine Sand leads the resource center Aspen Family Connections. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, she helped run a mobile food pantry. Gray War was one of the volunteers. I think what Gray understands that it's not all just about sort of food and nutrition and here's a can of beans. You know, people also need to have pleasure from food. War helped out at the food pantry in his free time when he wasn't working as a snowboard instructor. And he had an idea to augment the supplies by collecting the food tourists leave behind after their vacations. Sand thought it was a good idea, but that War needed to think bigger to rescue unused food from grocery stores instead of ski condos. War took her up on the idea. So she said I should go to the source. We went from collecting 30, 40 pounds to collecting... Three, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred pounds at each store. Now, just two years after war started Harvest for Hunger, he's rescued more than a quarter million pounds of food. The problem isn't getting it from the grocery stores, he says, but getting the food to the people who could use it. Because going to a food bank can come with a stigma. And I worry that we're not reaching as many people as we could be reaching. I want to start focusing on not only helping the people that are desperate, but also helping the people that are living paycheck to paycheck. To do that, War is opening a food pantry in Snowmass Village, where he lives and works. It just got approved by the town council and is likely to open by the end of the year in town hall. People will get to just drop in and grab what they'd like, just like they could at a recent giveaway that Harvest for Hunger organized near the Snowmass ski area. (laughs) Can I take a bread out of your Yes, absolutely, please. As we watch people pick out baguettes from a local bakery and consider a jug of free eggnog, I'm reminded of something War said at the beginning of our day. Everyone should have the opportunity to eat well. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome, Bill. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees.
Thursday should be sunny during the day with a high in the mid 40s. Thursday night, there's a slight chance of snow showers with a low around 25 degrees. Friday calls for snow showers, possibly heavy at times, and a high near 30. Friday night, expect more snow with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 10 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, December 6. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. It's Noel night. What's on your holiday list? Powder skis, a new car, or perhaps a new home? If securing a dream home is on that list, then the Telluride Foundation and Rural Homes wants to help make that dream a reality. We will host an open house at Pinion Park in Norwood this Saturday, December 9th, from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Come tour three deed-restricted homes. And these houses are amazing. Each of them has three bedrooms, three bathrooms, a beautiful kitchen with stainless steel appliances, solar panels, and heat pumps to keep your costs low, fiber internet, and either a garage or a utility shed. The neighborhood has killer views and is located adjacent to the Lone Cone Library and only three blocks from the Smart Bus Stop. Now, you might be thinking that mortgage rates are sky high and you don't have enough money for a down payment, but Rural Homes has created a unique partnership where qualified buyers can access a specialized mortgage product and down payment assistance. Qualified buyers can own a home for just $1,600 a month. Why keep paying rent or playing the musical chairs rental game moving every six months? Now's the time to start building equity, secure housing, and put down roots in this place you love. Again, our open house is this Saturday, December 9th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Homes are located in Pinion Park in Norwood on Paradox, Juniper, and Pinion Streets. We hope to see you. Bring your friends and family to see these amazing homes. And again, we'll have snacks and drinks while you tour the houses. See you then. It's Winter Sing Concert Time. Our concerts are this Friday, December 8th, and Sunday, December 10th. The theme is Finding the Road Home. Artistic Director Hal Adler has given us a gorgeous program that includes an audience sing-along of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus with instrumentalists. Between that and our Christmas Carol sing-along section, we're thrilled that together with you, we get to create such beautiful music. Our program also includes works by Gabriel Foray, John Gardner, Jose Feliciano, and given our kids' choir is singing a really fun arrangement of Twas the Night Before Christmas, this is a concert you will not want to miss. Again, the concerts are Friday, December 8th at 7 and Sunday, December 10th at 4, both at Christ Church and tickets at the door. We're excited that our Sunday, December 10th concert will be broadcast live by Kodo. What an amazing opportunity to be able to share our joyous sound with everyone to hear. So just go to kodo.org at 4 p.m. and click listen. So come join your friends, neighbors, and your community for our Wintersing 2023. This is Ginny Fraser. And thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.